Amen. Thanks, Eric. Well, good morning. Uh, I, uh, Fridays are my day off. And so this Friday, I was planning on taking a day off, but uh, I had to move some things around my schedule so I could work Friday because we have a church plant in about a year, and a couple pastors in South Omaha that I've been trying to get to know uh, said, hey, we can meet you on Friday. And so I was meeting them on Friday morning, all morning, and then I'm walking toward my, uh, toward my car late morning, I think 11, 11.30, and I pick up my phone, and I see a message from Dougie Fresh, right? That's Pastor Doug. So, and, uh, and it was, it was Pastor Doug and a bunch of other people that don't matter. And, and, uh, but, you know, Doug, Pastor Doug, you know. I like Eric. I love Doug, you know. It, Doug. And Doug said, hey, uh, our, our guy that we had lined up to preach on Sunday fell ill. Uh, do you guys have somebody that could step in? And the message was to me and a few other pastors uh, in Benson. And I just replied, I got you, Doug. Send. That was it. Send it. All right, I'm a, I get to preach for Pastor Doug. And then uh, uh, I'm on the way home, driving from South Omaha to Bellevue. And it occurred to me, it's Friday. <laughs> Sunday's like two days away. <clears throat> but I, I was like, okay, all right, I got this, I can do this, I can do this. I've preached several hundred sermons over the years. You know, I'll just, I'll just uh, you know, uh, pull out one of my back pocket sermons. Every preacher has some back pocket sermons. Back pocket sermons, those sermons that you've preached a few times, that not only are you confident in it, but um, you've seen the Lord work in it. He's worked through you, and he's worked through of the preaching of that sermon, and, and, and it's had an effect on the, on the hearers, and so there's been fruit from it. So you're like, yeah, I'm going to put that in my back pocket. And at any moment, I can stand up, crack open the Bible, and preach passionately and confidently from that text. You guys tracking? Right? So I'm like, oh, I'll just pull up one of my back pocket sermons. And then Pastor Doug says, hey, here's your text. Your text is 1 John chapter 5, 1, 5 through 2, 11. And I was like, oh, that's not one of my back pocket sermons. <laughs> but I've preached for a long time, and, like, you know, I'm sure I've preached you know, first John before, I'll pull, up, pull out one of my old sermons, dust it off, pray through it, walk through it, and I'll just re-preach that. Went through my files. Never preached first John before. <laughs> so uh, I went from, I got you, Doug, to, can I do this? What am I doing? Why'd they ask me? Right? <clears throat> it was Doug's fault. Uh, <clears throat> and, and I lost my preaching swag. I went from, I got this, you, I got you, Doug, to like, oh, no. And I, I literally collapsed my confidence. It was like, can I even preach? Right? And then, uh, you know, it just made me think that that wasn't the first time or the only time that I've, that I've lost my swag, that I've lost my confidence. You ever feel like I can do something and then suddenly you feel like I can't do this? I, I got saved when I was 17 years old. I, I came to Jesus when, or Jesus came to me, or however you, theological persuasion. Uh, uh, when I was 17 years old, I uh, went to Boys Town. Anybody know Boys Town in Omaha? I grew up in New York City, flew to Boys Town, and, uh, and I was there. And about six months after I got there, my younger brother landed there. And my younger brother uh, landed in a home with a Christian couple, and they shared the gospel with him. And a few months after he got there, um, he met Jesus and started coming over to my house, started telling me about Jesus, right? And it was annoying, it was. It, it, it was. I was like, you know, these white people brainwashed you. That's what they did. 
and I didn't understand it. I was, uh, but there were things that he would say, and there were things, the way that I saw him living that intrigued me, but freaked me out at the same time. And one day he says to me, um, if you don't believe me, read it for yourself. And so I did. And so I remember it was uh, uh, Mother's Day weekend, 1996, and I'm reading my Bible um, uh, on my bed. I'm laying down, and I read 2 Corinthians 5.17, and it said, if anyone is in Christ, he's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. And, and it was right then and there that I prayed, God, I want that. This is what happened to my brother. He's a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come, and I want this. And if it's having Jesus, then that's what I want. I want Jesus. And my life radically changed. I suddenly um, had a deep confidence and a deep sense of who I was and, and, and my relationship with God. I had a deep sense of the forgiveness that he, that he extended toward me. I had a deep uh, sense of, uh, of wanting everybody to know. And suddenly I realized why it was so annoying that he was sharing the gospel with me all the time. Because I suddenly wanted to grab everybody I knew and like, how can you not see this? Right? You know, Jesus saves. You know, I was just so excited. Um, but that passion, that fire um, didn't, didn't last um, uh, into perpetuity. It kind of waned. It faded over time. I got married, had kids relationships with people and, and, and different things started happening. My, my marriage wasn't exactly what I expected. My parenting wasn't exactly what I expected, right? My friendships and relationships weren't quite what I expected. I would lose my temper. Sometimes with my kids, when I needed to be engaged, I'd rather disconnect, right? Relationships were broken because of things that they did and things that I did. Right? And there were many times in my life where, where this life change that I experienced with Jesus that was so powerful in those early days that made me question later that I was like, man, have I been changed by Jesus? Has Jesus changed me? Am I even saved? You ever experienced that? You ever experienced that question like, man, am I even saved? Am I even saved? Have I been changed by Jesus? In, in today's... Uh, um, text, 1 John, uh, Pastor John is writing to a church that is experiencing a loss of confidence in the gospel. They've lost their Jesus swag. They've lost this humble boldness that they've experienced at first. And, and the reason why was because they had these false teachers infiltrate and infect the church with these false teachings that, that confused, distorted, and twisted the gospel. And so who Jesus is and what he's done they twisted uh, about who Jesus' divinity and his humanity, uh, about sin, about what the cross affected in their lives. And so this church was decimated because their confidence in Jesus was impacted. You guys tracking with me? And, and so he wants them to know in, in chapter 2, verse 3, he says this, which is a theme that runs throughout um, 1 John. He says, he says this, and by this we may know that we have come to know him. That he wants them to know, you can know that you know God. He wants them to have confidence in their faith. And this theme runs about 15 different times. He says similar things throughout 1 John. That he wants them to know, yes, you have been changed by Jesus. Yes, you have been changed by Jesus. And so my hope is that by the end of, of my preaching time this morning, and by the time we leave our gathering this morning, that you can say, yes and amen, I have been changed by Jesus. 
that these questions that come up, that these, these uh, doubts and confusions and, and distortions of the gospel can fall by the wayside because the truth and the promises of the gospel have crushed our doubt and disbelief. Amen? So John does this throughout, throughout uh, uh, 1 John. He does this uh, um, in, in a very uh, specific way where he is giving an exhortation throughout. An exhortation is an encouragement plus a challenge. An encouragement plus a challenge. Uh, if you've ever worked out, anybody go to the gym? Anybody go to the gym? We know Eric doesn't. He told me earlier he doesn't go to the gym, right? But go to the gym. Some of you need to go to the gym. Like, nobody even, like, gym, what's a gym? <laughs> when people work out, right? Like, uh, uh, and, and sometimes we do planks in the gym. And, and a plank is where you lay on your elbows and toes, right, and, and, and off the ground, and you're on a flat line. And it's a total body workout that specifically works your core. And when we're partnering up with somebody, we would give an, ex an exhortation, an encouragement, and a challenge. It sounds like this. You can do it. You can do it. Encouragement, right? Don't quit. Challenge. You guys got it? Like, come on. You got this. Get that booty down, right? Encouragement, challenge. You guys track it with me? And in, John, in 1 John, the whole letter is encouragement, challenge, encouragement, challenge. And he flip-flops. He goes, challenge, encouragement, encouragement, challenge, challenge, encouragement. Encouragement of what the gospel is, who Jesus is, what he has done in their life. Be encouraged by it. Be empowered by it. Be strengthened by it. And then the challenge. In light of that, in light of this promise, here's what you need to, how, how your life ought to live out, how it ought to play out in your life. Here's how, how, how your life ought to reflect the truth of the promise. You guys tracking? Right? And so he goes throughout the whole letter in, in this fashion. And what I want to do is I want us to just walk through, not verse by verse, starting in verse chapter 1, verse 5 through 2, 11. We're not going to go verse by verse, but we're going to look at how does he encourage us with the gospel? How does he challenge us with the gospel? And in that exhortation that we can have confidence in saying, yes, I have been changed by Jesus. Amen? So let's start in chapter 1, uh, uh, verse 6. Verse 6, where he says this. He says, this is the message that we have heard from him and proclaim to you, that God is light and in him is no darkness. That word message could be message, but that word also means promise. This is the promise, right? Like, does that hit you a little differently? This is the promise that we've heard that I'm proclaiming to you versus here's the message that I've heard that we've heard that I'm proclaiming to you. One is, it sounds like here, here's the content, here's the information, right? Where the other one is like, like here's something that we can cling to. Here's, here's the, 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 the promise of who God is and what he's done that, that can radically transform. Are you guys with me here, right? That there's a difference. It just hits you a little differently. So message and promise, same thing, but here's a promise. And so the first exhortation is that, man, this is a promise. This is not simply content for you to understand. It is a promise for you to believe and hold on to. And so this gospel truth is a promise. And so let's go ahead and what is this gospel promise? Verse, uh, chapter 1, 7, he says that Jesus' blood has cleansed you, has cleansed us from all sin. How much sin does it say? There you go. All. Oh, that wasn't a trick question this side. How much sin? All sin. <clears throat> all sin. Not just the stuff that, that is obvious to us, but the stuff that's not obvious to us. 
Not just the stuff that we're okay saying out loud, but the stuff that we don't want anybody to know. Not just the stuff that's respectable. You know those respectable sins? Oh, everybody does it. But those things that are heinous. Those things that you don't want to say out loud for fear of what people will say, think, or do if you said it out loud. That Jesus' blood cleanses us, cleanses you from all sin. Chapter 1, verse 9, that Jesus forgives you from all unrighteousness. Is the way he describes us and the way he describes Jesus. Chapter 2, verse 1, he calls Jesus Christ the righteous. He says that, but his, this righteous one cleanses us from all unrighteousness. You get the difference? That we're not Jesus, that we are not righteous, but Jesus is, and that Jesus forgives us all of our unrighteousness. Is that good news? Yeah, that is good news. And that's a promise that, that we can hold on to. And then chapter 2, verses 1 and 2 says this. My little children. Ain't that great the way he starts that? My little children. This whole passage is so deeply relational. that it's not just, uh, He's not just throwing content at people that he doesn't know and love. That's why one of the things I love about being a pastor and that I, I, I miss, uh, um, you know, I pastored a church for five years. So you get up and you're able to um, unpack God's word to people that you know and love. The pastor Doug and Pastor Eric get up here and they're able to share what God is teaching them in God's word to you and for you because they love you. Because they look at you and they're like, man, I'm kind of like a spiritual dad and I want to care for you. You guys tracking? And, and, and so he, Pastor John is like a spiritual dad. And he says, he says, my little children. And of these 17 verses, 1, 5 through 2, 11, uh, um, uh, of these 17 verses, 10 different times, it's very relational. It's about our relationship with each other. It's about our relationship with God and even our relationship with ourselves. So you can't fellowship with God, fellowship with each other. He says, you deceive yourselves. You guys tracking? And so it's, it's deeply, 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 rela uh, deeply relational. But he, and he says this, this is one relationship that you, that you want to pay attention to. He says this, my little children, I'm writing these things to you so that you may not sin. I'm not writing them to you so that you can store it away. So you can just understand and be able to win at Bible tri trivia. I'm writing these things to you so that it can have an impact and a change in your life so that you may not sin. He says, he says but if, you, if anyone does sin, if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father, Jesus Christ the righteous. Does that sound like good news? That is the good news, that Jesus is your advocate. That word advocate, um, that same word in the, New, in, the New, in the Gospels is translated helper. Helper. You know what he's talking about in the New Testament? The Holy Spirit. That God the Holy Spirit is our helper who comes alongside and, alongside and empowers us. He, he um, convicts us of sin. He empowers, gives us the strength to overcome, right? He empowers us to move forward. And here he's saying the same language of Jesus Christ. That Jesus is our advocate, not just somebody who speaks up for you on your behalf, standing up for you when you cannot, but somebody who comes alongside, grabs you by the hand, and empowers you. I have four kids, and uh, my, old, my son, he's not my oldest, but my son, he's 19 now, but when he was three years old, um, we used to live in Kearney, Nebraska. And uh, I always want to say, Kearney, Nebraska. I don't know why. It just sounds like you should say it that way. 
right? And we used to live in Kearney, Nebraska, and uh, there's a swimming pool in Harmon Park. And in, at Harmon Park, there's, a, there's a, a, a water slide, water slide. I always want to say water tower, but it's not a water tower. It's a water slide, a little different. And, uh, and my son was running up there, and, and he, was, he kept on doing it, kept on doing it. And then one day, one time, he came down and he said, Daddy, Daddy, would you go up with me? And so we went up, and he was three years old at the time. And we start going up, and halfway up, he starts, he starts getting really nervous um, because he realized that the steps, the gaps between the steps were pretty wide, and he could slip through. And this tower was made of wood, and if the wind blew just right, you could feel it swaying. You could feel it swaying. And this little dude suddenly lost all his confidence and his boldness, and he crawled down on his hands and knees, and he was crawling up the steps. And his hands, he was white-knuckling it. He saw the little vein in his neck. And he was so scared. He was moving at a snail's pace. And I just came alongside him. I said, buddy, I'm right here. And just grabbed his hand. He stood up, looked at me. Looked, chest popped out. Rested the way up. Woo! All the way down. What happened? His advocate, his helper, came alongside him. And too many times we're walking through life terrified, trying to white-knuckle it, and we forget that our advocate is right there. He's holding our hand. We can stand up, pop our chest out, and walk boldly toward the slide. Amen? Amen. So this is, this is the good news. This is the good news that he's given us. Another, good, another piece of good news, chapter 2, verse 2, he says this. He says, he advocate for us, Jesus Christ righteous. He is the propitiation for our sins. Big Bible word that mostly only Bible nerds use, right? Uh, propitiation means the putting down of sin. And so for centuries, God's people would gather together. God instructed them to remember him and to once a year come together for the Day of Atonement. And it was the time, the day where they would gather in Jerusalem, God's city, at the temple. And the high priest, the person who was representing God to the people and the people to God, other way, right? Um, uh, and, and he was representing the, the intermediary. He was the one who was representing God to the people, people to God. And he would take two goats, two goats. And on one goat, he would pray over the goat, pray the sins of the people onto the goat, symbolically. And then he would sacrifice the goat putting down the goat, putting down the sin, and the sin was, and the goat was the propitiation goat, meaning that he was satisfying the wrath of God. It was put on the goat. You guys tracking? The second goat, he would tie a red, a red a rope around its neck, pray the sins of the people onto that goat, walk it outside of the city, and chase it out of the city. That is the expiating goat, expiation goat. So one, put down the sin, chase away the sin. You guys tracking? Right? Chasing, right? So it's not enough that the, that the sin is just put down. It's also chased away. So Good Friday, Easter Sunday. You guys tracking? Right? Who learned something? Right? right so that, that's what it is, the Day of Atonement. He says that Jesus is our propitiation, that he was sin being put down. So in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 21, he says that, that God made him, Jesus, to become sin. So that in him, we might become the righteousness of God. Meaning that in him, Jesus was put down because he became sin itself. You guys tracking? So all those sins that you don't want to say, it was fell on Jesus. And the weight of God's wrath fell on him that it may not fall on you. And that is good news. Amen? It's not only good news for us, but he says that Jesus is propitiation for our sins, but not only for us, but also for the whole world. 
Not that his propitiation affected salvation for everybody, meaning that everybody saved, but that his blood, his work on the cross is sufficient, meaning that it's powerful enough to cover the sins of the whole world, meaning that there is nothing that we can bring before God that he's going to go, ah, that's too much. There's nothing that, he, that he's intimidated by. There's nothing that he is going to push you away and say, that's a little big for my budget, right? That he has got it. His bank account is big enough. He has got it, right? A few years ago, I, was, I, was on a, I went on a trip to Colorado and we went camping. And because I'm a genius, we went camping at like 5 or 6 o'clock, at, not camping, hiking at like 5 or 6 o'clock at night in a mountain. Did I mention I grew up in New York City? <clears throat> and so we start coming down. I say, hey, it's starting to get dark. We should probably head down, right? That's way too late to start heading down. And we start heading down the mountain, and it is super dark. I'm talking about super dark. And I'm hearing noises. I'm hearing twigs crack. I think Jason is out there trying to get me, <laughs> right? I'm like, I'm terrified and then we all, all we had was this. <clears throat> like, walking down the mountain. <clears throat> and, and you know, as great as the iPhone is, it ain't got nothing on the dark. <clears throat> you know, it was like three feet ahead of me. Three feet ahead of me. I just kept on like, like swinging that stuff just because, you know, it was like, it was crazy. It was so scared. <clears throat> but here's the thing. That the light of Jesus is not like an iPhone. It, it overpowers all the darkness, and there's nothing that can overcome it. That the light of Jesus outshines even the darkest darkness in your life. Is that good news? How do we know that? He said that, that his propitiating work is sufficient for the sins of the whole world. So he's got enough for you. And that, that my friends, is good news. That is good news. And then the last piece of good news in chapter 2, verse 3. He says that this is how we can know. We, by this we know that we have come to know him. That good news is that you can't have confidence that you know Jesus. I don't know if you know Jesus, but you can know if you know Jesus. You can know if you've been changed by Jesus. How do you know if you've been changed by Jesus? It's the plus in encouragement plus challenge. That it's not enough just to simply receive the encouragement Store it away, that's not how life change happens. That's not how life, life change, right? That you have the gospel plus the application equals transformation, right? That, that how, does it, how does it happen? He says in verses 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10, check out what he says in verse chapter 1, verse 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, and 10. 6. If we say we have fellowship with him while we walk in the darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. So he says, walk, right? Walk as in like the way you live and practice the truth, right? Like people are like, oh yeah, I know how to do this. How, how do you know? Like, well, I, I know it or I practice it. There's a difference, right? There's a huge difference whether knowing it cognitively and actually play, uh, working it out. But notice how he starts that, that verse. If we, if we, verse 7, but if we walk in the light. Verse 8, if we say we have no sin. Verse 9, if we confess our sin. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned. You guys, you guys getting that? There's a key word somewhere in there, right? <clears throat> like it, if we, there's a contingency that, that, that it's not enough to simply know you have, it's something that we have, to, that we have to do. It's not that we earn it, 
But there is effort. You guys tracking? Right? That, that how do we avail ourselves of this promise? How do we make it, um, um, hold on to it? How do we hold on to it and actually let it live itself out in our lives? That he says that there's an expectation that life change follows heart change. There's an expectation that life change follows heart change. This is why he says in chapter 2, verse 4 and 5, he says that, that, the, that God's love is perfected in him. Right? That if you do these things, that if you base commandments, that his love is perfected in you, what's that even mean? It means that you have a greater awareness of who he is, what he's done. That your knowledge of him, your affection for him, and your obedience to him starts to increase. It starts to be perfected in you. And then what happens is, is that as your view of God's glory, of your view of his promise, the view of the gospel, right, increases, um, hopefully, right, your, the view, your view of your own sin will also increase, but the gospel will always be larger, crushing your sin, Right? If your view of your sin is bigger than your view of God's gospel, guess what happens? You grow in despair. You grow discouraged. You start asking questions. Have I even been changed by Jesus? Am I even saved? You guys tracking with me here? The life changes. There's an expectation that life change follows heart change. And so the challenges that he gives us are to walk and to practice the truth. In verse 1-8, he says to confess our sin. That there's an expectation that we confess our sin. He says, um, look at 8, 9, and 10. 1, 8, 9, and 10. He says, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. So there's an expectation that we admit that we have sin. Amen? That we admit that we have sin. We deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Um, 9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us our sins. Verse 10, if we say we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. So there's this expectation that we are honest about where we are. That this is an expectation that we are honest and we confess our sin. There's a pattern of confession. You guys understand what I mean by a pattern of it? Like, like if, if, you're, if you're a hurdler, anybody run track in here? Okay. All right. So, so for the camera, not one person. Right. So I, I know that Eric uh, um, had to run hurdles one time in track in high school because his coach made him. Right? And the way that his practice running the hurdles was marked was that he had the 10 hurdles and he hit every single hurdle as he was running, as he was running, right? Every single one. Am I lying? No, he hit every single one. The pattern of Pastor Eric's hurdle racing is hitting every single one, right? Got it? Got it? If you take an Olympic um, hurdle runner, I don't know what that's called, but uh, Olympic hurdler, Olympic hurdler, right, they very rarely ever hit a hurdle, right? So what marks their race is, is, is perfection, right? It's clearing the hurdles, right? And so you can know where somebody at by what the pattern of, their life, or pattern of their race is. What is their race marked by, right? And so for the Christian, what is your race marked by? Your race is marked by a pattern of confession. Your race is marked by an admittance of who you are and what, you, like what you've done in light, uh, in light of God. And confession doesn't mean letting God know something that he doesn't know. It doesn't mean revealing it to God. It means agreeing with him. It means agreeing with him that what your sin is, saying, I, I know that this displeases you. So what is sin? What is sin? I think that one of the greatest ways of this, if sin is what keeps us in the dark, 
what, what is sin and what is the sin that Jesus puts down? How, how does this play, us, play itself out in our, in our life? I think we need to go back to Psalm 51. This is where um, David, King David, he was the king of Israel. He's like the, stand, the gold standard of kings for Israel. And he's actually called in the Bible a man after God's own heart. Right? And so this guy is varsity when it comes to Bible characters, right? Um, yet, he wasn't perfect. Far from it. And he was a king, but it says in 2 Samuel, it says that um, in the days when the, 1 Samuel, when the kings were out at war, King David stayed at home. And while he was at home, he was out on his rooftop and he looked over to his neighbor's house. His neighbors, he lived in a fancy neighborhood because he's a king, and, and he, his generals were living by him. And one of his generals, they were off at war, and his wife was bathing on the roof. And he saw her, he desired her, and because he's king and he has the resources and the muscle to make it happen, he took her. He violated her. He violated his role as king. He violated his general Uriah. And then to cover it all up, he had her husband murdered. Anybody murder anyone lately? Can we admit that his sin is pretty great? And how he describes his sin when he repents is pretty instructive for us. Because he describes it using three words. He says this. He says, Have mercy on me, O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy. So not according to what I've done, because what I've done is heinous, but according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, that it far exceeds the heinousness of what I've done. Your mercy, your love is greater. Tracking? Right? It's bigger. It's bigger than, it's bigger than what I've got. He says, Blot out my transgression, wash me thoroughly from my iniquity, and cleanse me from my sin. And so he uses three words there to describe sin. And um, John, uh, in this letter that he's writing to this church, he uses the word sin nine different times in these short verses. Nine different times. So for John in this church, sin is a big deal that he's trying to address. Sin is a big deal that causes them to lose their Jesus swag. You guys tracking? Right? And he starts to address it. And this is how the Bible describes sin. Sin, iniquity, transgression. Sin is the archery term. It's the one that we most often see in Scripture. But sin, it means like you're aiming for the bullseye, right? You release the arrow, but it never hits the bullseye. It, it, it's off target. So you were aiming for it. You meant well, but you just missed. Anybody ever sin? Right? Iniquity means, it's, it's a, it means distortion or twisted. And so if you have a wire hanger, wire hanger, right? I grew up in the 80s, we had wire hangers, right? And, and uh, you hang your coat up on the hanger, works perfectly fine. But if you squeeze the hanger, you twist it, it gets twisted and distorted. You put your coat on the hanger, it no longer holds the coat. It starts to fall off. You guys with me? Right? And so that is iniquity. It's twisted and distorted. It no longer functions the way that it's intended to function. And so my motives, my intentions no longer function the way they're intended to function. So I do the right things, but for the wrong reasons. I discipline my children, not because I'm concerned with the condition of their heart, but because I'm worried about what it looks like to everybody else around me. Only me? Right? And then transgression. Transgression is not missing the mark. Transgression is not my motives are wrong. Right? But it's, transgression is I know what I ought to do. I know what God wants from me, and I don't care. I have four children. My oldest is a micro-rebellious child, which means that you tell her, hey, Trin, I just mopped the floor. Don't go in the kitchen. What she's going to do is she's going to walk right up to the edge, 
She might put her toe on it. She'd be like, I'm not. Right? Anybody got kids like that? Right? I have my two middle ones, uh, Keenan and Lydia. They are macro-rebellious. Hey, don't go in the kitchen. I just mopped it. What? What? Like, woo! Like, like, they don't care, right? So I read this verse to them all the time. No, I don't. Don't do that. That's bad. <clears throat> bad dad. Uh, and so that's transgression. And so he's addressing all kinds of sins. So not just the sin that we missed the mark, not just the sin that when we have twisted or distorted motives, but even the sin that when we know what we ought to do and do, and do the wrong anyway. So he says that, excuse me, that admit that we have sin. Admit that we have the pattern of sin. Confess it. Say, God, I know I have this. You know I have this. I'm going to confess it to you. And he says that if you confess your sin, he's faithful and just to forgive you your sin. Is that good news? That is good news. <clears throat> so he says, uh, to, to walk through this, he says, and then he says uh, first that uh, the commandment is, I mean, the, the uh, I can't speak today. Exhortation is encouragement and, and challenge. Another challenge is to keep his commandments. Chapter 2, verse 3 says that we can know that we have come to know him if we keep his commandments. And so what have been the commandments of Jesus? John chapter 13, he says that they will know that you're my disciples if you love one another. Here later on in this, in this chapter, chapter 2, he says that, that how can you say you love God if you hate your brother? Right? So loving one another is a commandment. So how, what's your affection like for one another? Another commandment, he just said it here, I just read it, confess your sin. Keeping his commandments, confessing sin regularly. And then the, the biggest commandment of all, uh, um, the, the last commandment that Jesus gave in Matthew 28, he says, go make disciples. Go make disciples of all nations, teaching them to observe and obey all that I have commanded. Right? And so if, if we want to experience this, 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 uh, um, this fullness of all that God has for us, if we want to experience this, this confidence that, yes, I have been changed by Jesus, don't just know the truth, but walk in it. And how can we walk in it? We can walk in it by being in relationship with other people, that we love one another, that we're in relationship with one another and that we're encouraging one another, we're challenging one another, calling each other higher, walking with each other, coming alongside and be like, I got you. I got you. You can do this. Challenging one another, say, hey, don't you quit. Don't you quit. Come on, I'll do it with you, right? The Bible uses language like bearing with one another, which literally means carrying each other's load, right? That we can do this. So loving one another, confessing sin to each other and to God, right? And then, and then uh, making disciples, sharing the story of what God has done in your life. That your testimony is your story plus the gospel equals your witness, right? Equals your story, your testimony. That who Jesus is and how that played out in, in your life. In keeping uh, his commandments, the love of God is perfected in us. And the darkness of your life will be blown away by the light of Jesus. Is that good news? So you can walk out of here having confidence and saying, yes, and amen, Jesus has changed me. How do I know that? How do I know that? Because he's changed my relationships. How do I, how do I know that? Because I, I, I'm aware of my sin, I'm aware of my need, and the cross has crushed it. And the cross has crushed it. I don't have to hide. I don't have to live in fear of punishment because Jesus has given me grace. And then, so the question for you is, have you been changed by Jesus? Have you been changed by Jesus? 
Do you believe in the work that Jesus did on the cross and that it's changed your relationship with God, with yourself and with others? If not, I want to encourage you and I want to challenge you and invite you to, to believe these promises that he has cleansed you from all your sin, that he has forgiven all of your unrighteousness, that he has put down your sin, that he has been the propitiation for you, that he is your advocate, and that you can know Jesus today. Now, you're here at church on a Sunday morning. That's not, that doesn't make it obvious that you know Jesus, right? You can be here for all kinds of reasons. You can be here because this is what you do as a family. You can be here because somebody invited you to lunch and you got duped into being here, right? You can be here because you've got nothing better to do, right? You can have a variety of reasons why you're here. You can be here because you want people to think that you're holier than you are, right? You can be here for a variety of reasons. It doesn't make you a Christian. But you can have life change with Jesus if you believe who he is and what he's done. Romans 10 says that, that if you believe in your heart and confess with your mouth that Jesus is Lord and that he raised him from the dead, that you will be saved, right? And you can know him today. Some of you have known Jesus, but have you been changed by Jesus? Does your life look like you've been changed by Jesus? How is your thought life, your work life, how you express emotion, your marriage, your parenting, your relationships, your view of sex, of money, how you do conflict. How are those things evidence that you have been changed by Jesus? He says, you can know that, you've, that you know him if you confess sin, love one another, right? You guys tracking with me? So the, the, it's not just meant to like say to, to as, a, as a litmus test to say, okay, here's where I'm at. But it's to, okay, I've been in the dark. Start walking in the light to walk as he walked. You ought to walk as he walked. So don't just stay in the dark. Uh, step into the light. And people will know that your life is evidence that you've been changed by Jesus. The reason why I knew that my brother, um, was, that this Jesus thing was real, wasn't because of the words that he said to me. Remember I said they were annoying. It was because I know my brother. I know him intimately. I knew his character. I knew who he was.